Welcome to No More Shame, the podcast dedicated to breaking the shame narrative and healing the wounds of shame that hold us back. In each episode, Dr. Megan Clunan will be exploring the tools of psychology and the truths of Christian theology to help you live free from shame and in the reality of your true identity. So let's dive into today's episode. All right, everyone, welcome to episode four. I am so glad you're back, and I am actually really pretty excited about this topic um, because this week we're going to be kicking off a two-part series on what shame does to our physical bodies. And as I say series, I kind of think to myself, is it really a series if it's just two parts? Do we need like three or four? (laughs) I don't know. Um, Whatever. For our sake, it is a two-part series. And we're going to be talking about, again, how shame impacts our physical bodies um, and how to find freedom from that. Because it does bind us in our bodies. It does begin to break us down within our physical bodies. But as you all know, our physical bodies are important. Maybe you don't know, right? And maybe this is an important point. I really want to make sure we hit home. Your physical body is just as important as your emotional, your mental, and your spiritual self. Sometimes I think we separate those or we silo those or we're like, as long as these components are healthy, who really cares about what's going on physically? Um, Jesus does. God does. He intended your body um, on purpose, for a purpose, for this time and place in history And it's the thing that carries you to do all the other things that he's calling you to be and become. He values it. We are told time and time again, we are God's workmanship, right? Uh, We're told that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're told that our bodies have been bought at a price and they are not our own anymore. Jesus himself came fully God, fully man. And his embodied holy sonship is still real today. Like his physical body was raised from the dead. So if our God values the physical body as much as we see in scripture and as much as we see in the life of Jesus, then we too need to stand in that space. And if shame has come to destroy us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, which it has, because as a Christian, as one who is a child of God, as one who is an image bearer of our creator God, I would argue shame is not meant to be anything that we live within mentally, emotionally, physically either. Okay. And so let's talk about that. All right. So two key ways I'm going to talk about it today. Um, our, our body goes into one, when we're facing shame, our body goes into survival mode. Okay. This is a whole thing. Survival. We're going to talk about the sympathetic nervous system in a moment and the parasympathetic nervous system and all those fun words in a second. And what we understand our body is physically doing and reacting to, um, but it goes into survival mode and survival mode is good sometimes, right? It's great when there's a tornado coming for your house or when there's a bear running down the trail or when there, you know, like there's these moments where you're like, I got to go into survival mode and it totally makes sense. The problem with shame though, is because it lingers and the way that it lingers within us is that when once it hits us, it doesn't leave easy. And so what was once survival mode begins to be a way of life. And so instead of living in survival just to get through the moment, I'm doing it now to get through the day. And that day turns into a week. And that week turns into a month. And that month turns into my life. Okay, and so I end up living in survival mode. So heightened awareness, heightened anxiety, heightened pressure. And all of that creates Issues with my heart, potentially issues with my digestion, issues with um, even like autoimmune fibromyalgia has been linked back to. This isn't to say that everybody that struggles with those things is because of shame by any means, but we know that this can perpetuate either the initiation of those things or or make those things that do already exist within us worse, physically breaking us down. 
Okay, another way that our body does this is our, our, our body responds and it is broken down is just through exhaustion. Just through exhaustion. Because shame kind of shoves us into this space where we feel the need to control everything. Sometimes it's because I don't want to be exposed, so I've got to control everything. No one can know, right? The worst of me, the worst of my moments. Sometimes it's because of things that have happened to me, not stuff that I've done, but something others have done. And so I live in the space of, of constantly needing to make sure I'm controlling everything at all times so this doesn't happen again. We can't control everything at all times, my friends. That's not possible. Trying to live a life like that will only exhaust us. Romans 7, 24 to 25, I think are some of the best words of what it's like to live in a body that is trapped in shame. These are words from Paul and he's talking. He says this, he says, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's seen that. He's walked that journey. If any of you know Paul's story, then you know where he came from. He wasn't Paul always. He was this guy named Saul before he was Paul, right? And he, he lived a life of, of murder and, and, and violence and in the name of God at that. And so it's not until Jesus steps into his story and says, hey, man, this is actually not at all what I'm calling you to do. This is, this is you are opposing me. Why are you against me? We talk about something that could potentially create shame in someone's life. Right. And so he's carrying that. I'm sure there are other things as well because we are all human. And he says these words, but the beauty of these words is he ends it well. And this is where we want to end well. He ends it with thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so if we are holding shame in our bodies and we feel like that wretched man, wretched woman, who will set me free? And I've been there where it feels like I'm physically not capable of doing this again today. Like I cannot get up and let's go again today. My body is physically breaking down because of the shame that I feel. We've been there, but we have an answer. Thanks be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's awesome. We're going to talk about how we get there in a moment. All right. But first, let's unpack this a little bit more. Why do our, why do our bodies react like this? Why do they respond like this? Well, it's because shame feels dangerous. The body reacts as if it's facing real physical danger when it feels shame. It feels like actual harm is coming towards us. And again, shame lingers. It's not something that we feel it and then it's gone because the threat is gone or because the mistake is over or because the sin is passed forward, passed on and we've moved forward. Like that's not how shame work, it works. It lingers with us. And so as it lingers and as we continue to dwell on it, which if you haven't listened to um, the podcast before this one, the one specifically about how shame isn't your native language and then how neuroplasticity really helps us overcome shame. If we understand how that process works, I encourage you to do that. But if we sit in it and we dwell on it and we continue to process in it, it just continues to inform our person and we just continue to, to almost like amp up the fear, amp up the anxiety, amp up those feelings of shame. And as we do that, we, again, we get stuck in that survival mode. Okay. The sympathetic nervous system is the thing that is kicked in when we are in survival mode. It is the fight, flight, or freeze response, okay? So when sympathetic nervous system is kicked in, we are in fight, flight, or freeze. Again, there are seasons in our life, there are moments in our life where that's important. We need to live in that space, but it does not need to be our lifestyle. And too often, that's what we find happening. 
And so what does it look like fight-wise? Fight can be like verbal aggression, um, you, you lashing out, um, you have anger, outburst, things like this. A behavioral aggression, maybe even towards those that have, might have caused you to feel shame, or if there's anybody that kind of hits that wound or hits that button, even if they don't know it, like you, you just like lash out and to the point that you're just like, why did I act like that? What is going, why did I say that? Why did I re- respond with that level, right? Ever been there? Okay, flight looks like the desire to just disappear, the attempt to be unseen or smaller, shrink back, don't show up, don't speak up, don't involve yourself. Because of what? I'm afraid. I might be exposed. People might know. I might fail again in this way. Someone might hurt me. I can't live with vulnerability because there's potential pain there. We got to get there, though. We've got to be able to live in that space again. And then freeze. Freeze is just when we shut down because we, we feel trapped and we feel powerless. We just, only, like, we just completely shut down, just kind of go blank. You just stop talking. Okay. We just walk away. This is a way to survive. This is also a trauma reaction typically as well, um, which we know, I mean, trauma can create shame. So of course, of course that holds hands with that. This activated sympathetic nervous system though, why does that matter? Why do we need to understand that might be something that's going on within our physical bodies when we're experiencing shame? Because it's being elevated for too long actually hinders our parasympathetic nervous system from functioning well. Our parasympathetic nervous system is the part of our nervous system that calms us down, that calms our heart rate down, that calms our breathing down, that helps us think more clearly, which helps us basically means, you know, if I, if I can't do any of those things because I'm in this heightened state of survival, this means that even if I wanted to counteract negative messages of shame about my person, I'm not going to be able to unless new pathways of thinking have already begun to form and I've already started working on that, but I'm not just going to be able to default to that. Instead, I'm probably going to default to these things called cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions, my friends, those are just um, broken ways of thinking. That's really how I think of them. One of my professors would call it stinking thinking, okay? <laughs> but really, it's just this, it's this broken way of thinking that, that assumes, usually assumes the worst. And why? Because I'm trying to protect, I'm trying to be in this space. But what we want to see and what we want to move from we want to move from survival only. We want to move from exhaustion, from having to live a life like this only so that our physical bodies can be enjoyed, can be tools of what God is calling us to do in, in, in the world around us and in our families and in our friendships, but also the tool that we, we enjoy this life through. God has given us all that he's given us for life, not for death. And so when we think this body of death, oh my gosh, and it is not being framed right. That is not how we are supposed to think. Rather, go to the direction of, okay, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, my Lord, I don't have to be in this space forever. This doesn't have to be the rest of my lived existence. Better days, indeed, can be ahead. And so survival, we want that to give way to flourishing. Because we can't flourish when we're in survival mode. We're just making it. And we want the need for control, that exhausted pressure to give way to surrender, to give way to surrender. All right, so let's talk about flourishing for a minute. We're not going to talk about it actually too much because, again, I think a lot of what I I would have wanted to talk with you about, I do talk about from last week's podcast on neuroplasticity and how that actually rewiring of our brain helps us to flourish. But 
To touch back on it briefly, just as a fun reminder for those of you who may have listened to last week's, the brain is malleable. It's plastic, right? It's, it's able to be remolded and rewired and rerouted. We are a limited being. And so because of being limited beings, we don't have unlimited resources, which means as I start to break down the broken, busted pathways in my physical brain and start building up the new ones that create life, the other gets weaker and the one that I want to go down and start focusing on and know brings life, that actually gets stronger. At its most base level, neuroplasticity is the understanding that what I do not give attention to begins to weaken and what I do give attention to begins to strengthen. This is a beautiful thing, but this is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It is not something we're going to do overnight, okay? But it helps us move into the flourishing direction so that we move out of survival. We begin thinking, okay, I don't just have to hold my breath, walk on eggshells, and hope today the floor doesn't fall through. I can start thinking differently. I think sometimes too, we talk about how the brain, you know, the brain's against me. My mind is making me think about these things and so forth. Our mind is not actually against us or necessarily for us other than for survival. It is instinctual. It is focusing on surviving, which is why we're in survival mode. But, and I know I've said this before, there are times in our lives we've got to tell our brain what to think. Otherwise it will just tell us how to live. And so in these moments, we can be like, okay, thank you, brain, but I'm not in that situation anymore. Thank you, brain, but I am safe now. Thank you, brain, but I've set boundaries to ensure, fill in the blank, whatever it is, doesn't happen again. This is training our physical body to say, hey, you don't have to live in survival mode anymore. You're not being threatened in this space and place, be it by others or by yourself, because things are different now. This is helping us develop a new habit of thought Changing the, again, changing those brains pathway, it takes time. And so I want to encourage you, remind you, keep it up, keep walking, make the U-turn when you realize that I've walked too far down the path, I shouldn't be walking down. Okay, humility comes in and says, my bad, you turn it right now, go the direction you're supposed to. The more we do that, the more we do that, the more intentional we are about doing that, again, the things we pay attention to, those get stronger. And that's what we want. We want to move from survival to flourishing. Another one is surrender. Okay, our physical bodies will only find freedom from the shame we carry when we surrender to Jesus everything that binds us. And I know that's scary. And I know that's hard. And I know because I've been there. There are times like, I don't want to give you this though, Jesus, because maybe it's something that I have created in my own life. Or I don't want to give you this because God, I don't really know that you're going to do anything with it. What are you going to do? I haven't been able to do anything with it. As if I am, you know, equivalent to who he is, of course, um, which is completely irrational. But it's just the way that it goes. We do this and, it, and we hold it in and we don't want to surrender. But without that surrender, man, it is like this white knuckle death grip on something that physically wears us out. We are not meant to live like that. And so what does it mean to surrender? It requires knowing our story and then telling our story. Knowing our story and then telling our story. There's a really great book. If you've not read it, I encourage you to check it out. Um, it's by Allender, Dan Allender and Kathy Lorelzel. I believe that's how you say her last name. Um, the title of the book is called Redeeming Heartache. How Past Suffering Reveals Our True Calling. And it's just really interesting because they talk about the different ways we can tell our story. We can live our story. And so we need to be able to do that. And so shame tells us not to do that, though, doesn't it? 
It tells us hold it in. It tells us white knuckle it. It tells us grip it. It tells us don't don't let any of this out because one, it may be more shameful to you to do so or maybe nothing good is going to happen if you do. Not just maybe. It kind of tells, it doesn't tell us maybe though, does it? It actually tells us nothing good is going to happen. Maybe it would be too soft. We're convinced that it's not going to happen, that nothing good will come from us opening up our story. But we know that's actually not how we're supposed to live. We know we need to do that. Shame has taught us to be control in control and hypervigilant, to distrust and to hide away. Psalm 32, in, in Psalm 32, David is talking and he, and he says that keeping silent has caused my body to physically waste away. That's what happens. And so shame lies to us and tells us, stay silent. Don't say anything. Don't know your story and definitely don't share it. Being silent will cause our body to physically waste away because it's not like shoving it under the rug is really taking it away, is it? It's like shoving it under the rug and shoving something else and something else and something else and all it takes is something to come along and kick it and all that dust comes flying out all over again. And we're always aware that it's right there, right at the edge. It's exhausting. And so we open our story, hopefully, You have people in your life you can do this with, people that you trust, people that you know who love Jesus too. If you don't have that, man, that is my encouragement to you today. Find people. We are made for relationship. We are not made for living this life by ourselves. But opening it up to people, but also opening it up to Jesus, this allows our bodies to physically relearn, allows our bodies to learn and realize they can be safe. It's an experience-based plasticity, essentially. Kind of like neuroplasticity we talked about before, right? How our brain can be changed and rerouted and rewired to understand things differently. Well, our body can too. And so when we have those safe places and those safe people, and we open it up to Jesus, it literally lets our physical body learn, you're going to be okay. And this is going to be okay. And this is actually be life-giving to let people support you, encourage you, help you, remind you of your value. Admittedly, when we first start doing this, I'm going to be honest with you, I've felt it and I've seen it in clients and I've seen it in other people and friends that I've loved through things like this. Sometimes physically more pain may result because it hurts. It hurts to get it out. It hurts to say it. Our stomachs hurt or our heads hurt or our arms hurt. Again, next week we'll talk about where we hold certain kinds of shame in our physical body, but it it might actually hurt because we're actually opening up something that we've kept clenched for so long. Ever worked out and had your muscles like tightened and like spasmed, right? And had to kind of go get them forced to be released. When I was in college, um, I would hold stress in my body and I would hold, I'd call it um, stress back because I would hold it in my back, okay? And so when I was in college, there was a lot going on in one particular season, like way more hours than I should have been taking. I was actually engaged. I was planning a wedding. We were going to be moving out of state. First time I ever lived out of state. It was like so much was happening finances and insurance and what's the future going to be and like good things some of them most of them but stress right and so our our body also holds stress and so for me I I always hold it in my back and in this one semester in particular I'm holding it and um one morning I got up to get out of bed and I couldn't get out of bed like I couldn't move 
I had stress back. Okay. That's what was happening here. And so, um, my husband now fiance, then I called him and I was like, you have got to take me to the hospital. I can't even physically get out of this bed. And so he comes over. Um, I had had my roommate, she helped me get up, get going. So I could even like sit on the edge of the bed. So when he got there, um, I could just like, you know, basically drag my poor body to the car. I get in the car and we take her to the hospital. I get out, go in. They take me in in a wheelchair because I can't even walk. Couldn't even get out of the car by myself. Um, and they lay me down, which was excruciatingly painful, on my stomach to give me a shot that forces the muscles in my back to relax. That shot, I've had children, people, okay? <laughs> that shot hurt worse than anything I have ever physically experienced because it went straight into that muscle that had just been clenched, right? And it hurt so bad. But what it did once it was able to get in there and to release that muscle was it, it, it relaxed it, right? It let it go, but not at first. The remedy was so painful at first, but I had to go through that specific remedy so that the release and the relaxation and the pressure could be off. All right. Sometimes sharing our story of shame, it can be like that. And I even mean be like that with God. It's not that God doesn't know it. It's just we haven't let him into it yet. And he's that shot that needs to come in and says, this will hurt worse at first, but trust me. Or letting people in. This may hurt worse at first, but it is good. It is through relationship many, many times that we find healing. And so more pain may result at first, but this is okay because we know the end result is to find that space of surrender rather than the angst of anxious control, need for control, white knuckle gripping it. And what we see is that physical coping, which is what we're living in when we're kind of in that exhausted state, just like coping with the day, trying to get through day-to-day things, it gives way to physical strength building. And that's really what we want. We don't want to just develop coping skills just so we can get from one day to another. We want to develop strength and resilience and perseverance. Those things are not possible if we're just trying to survive, if we're just trying to cope. Okay, last little bits here I want to point your attention to. Psalm 34 has a beautiful verse about what it's like to finally look at our shame, but do it with God, to look to him in light of, in spite of perhaps even, what it is we're feeling. Psalm 34, 5 says this, and they looked to him. He says, this is after he's talking about all his fears. He says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. And he goes on, he says, they looked to him. God, him, capital H, and we're radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This whole um, chapter essentially points to, talks about how when we allow him in, into our fears, when we allow his gaze to sit upon us, it is not one of harm. It is not one of manipulation. It is not one of apathy that says, whatever, I'm not really going to do anything with what you're giving me. It's actually one that heals and restores, renews and strengthens. There is no shame in his gaze. The opposite is actually true. Our faces will look to him and be radiant, unashamed. And again, isn't that funny? Because like I said earlier, when we feel shame, everything in us just wants to turn inward, look down, don't look up. Shame is that body-based emotion, so we're trying to hide it away, protect our physical selves. The last thing we want to do is we want to look up. 
The last thing we want to do is be looked at and definitely be looked at by something that that is that is beyond and more holy, uh, one who is who is more perfect than we will ever be. Like we we don't want to do that. And yet when we do that, what we find in exposing this and being vulnerable to his gaze, what we actually find is that those are gone. All the fears are gone. All the shame is gone. And our faces become radiant and actually are defined as unashamed. He removes it because he's not put off by it. He's not scared of it. We don't see a hiding away after we do that. We see a boldness, a hold your head up, child of God, a confidence. Remember who you are. Know your identity. I've not forgotten who you are. And your physical body is a part of that. And it matters. Hold that head up. Lift that chin. Hezekiah in 2 Kings uh, chapter 19, it gives us kind of a good example of what this looks like. So Hezekiah, he's a king of Israel and there's a king of Assyria that's coming against him. And he's given uh, this letter from this king of Assyria that says, hey, we're coming against you and we're going to take you down like we've taken every other nation around you down. Specifically, if you look in verse 10, it says, this is what you shall say to Hezekiah. This is the king talking to him. Um, King of Judah, he says, do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by saying Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. The king, he's mocking him. He's like, don't believe in your God. Don't trust that God's really going to be there for you. Don't do this because we're coming for you. Go into survival mode. Go into protective mode. Start protecting yourself. Start fighting for yourself. Start defending yourself. He goes on and says, behold, you yourself have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the people around them, destroying them completely. So will you be saved? He's mocking Hezekiah. He's mocking the living God is really what's happening here. And this is something Hezekiah understands. He understands, you know what? This isn't just about Judah. This isn't just about what's about to go down in in Jerusalem. This isn't just about me. This is... This is you coming against the living God. And so what does he do? He takes this letter that is mocking Hezekiah, mocking this nation, mocking the living God. And what does he do? What he doesn't do, he doesn't go into survival mode. He doesn't start white knuckle gripping all the chariots and all the soldiers and all the horsemen and all the things that, you know, normally, naturally, instinctually, I think we would go to and say, hey, this is what's going to help us survive today, get through today. He doesn't do that. What he does is he takes the letter, he goes up. If you continue reading, I'm not going to continue reading here, but I encourage you to do so. He goes into the temple of the Lord and he opens the letter and he lays it before the living God. And he says, Lord, see what has been said. See what has been said against you. Not just me, not just your people, against you. And he says, but now, Lord, our God, please save us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. It's beautiful because God comes and he answers, which is true to his character. And God says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says to you. He says this through Isaiah, the prophet at the time. He says, because you have prayed to me, I have heard you. I have heard you. I see you. I hear you. And my friends, when God sees and God hears, anytime we read about that happening in scripture, he steps in with love. The rest of the story is, of course, that Assyria does not defeat them um, and so on. And you can read that as well. But this is the beautiful example of this is a shameful, potential, fear-filled moment. And shame can be like that because we look around and we see what it's done to the lives of so many other people. 
Maybe we even look at what it's done to the life that we have lived to date. And we're like, yeah, it's still there and it's coming again and it's coming at me and it's threatening me. And it can take me down because it's taken down so many people. And again, maybe it's even taken you down to date. But today that changes because today I want you to open this up before the living God. Pray to him. Let him hear you. Let him see you. Let your face look to him. Look up, child of God. Look up. Let your face be radiant as he takes away your shame. And you live a life unafraid and unashamed once again. Physically, we have to do this work to be done. There's work to be done in this, in this call to action that I am, I'm asking you as Hezekiah did and me, myself, living in that space too. This is, this is nothing that I have not walked as well. God will hear. Again, when God hears and God sees, he intervenes. Destruction is not the outcome, but life. Shame in our bodies creates destruction. Again, we'll talk more next week on what it means to honor our bodies and how that's honorable to God and how balance is restored in the aftermath of shame. But for now, it really is, let's move away from survival mode. Move into flourishing. Let's move away from the need for control and that exhaustion that we feel and and laying it in front of God instead in surrender. My prayer is that you walk away from this podcast today understanding the need to look up, look at Jesus. Yes, with the shame you hold, but open it up to him. Let him come in and say, because you have prayed to me, I have heard you. He wants to hear from you. Thank you for joining us this week. Our prayer is that through this week's topic, you have been encouraged in the truth and discovered tools for further freedom in your true identity, one created for and loved by God, one where shame has no say. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the No More Shame podcast so you don't miss next week's topic. You can also follow us on Instagram at no more shame underscore podcast for encouragement and reminders throughout the week. Join us every Monday for new episodes that will empower and equip you to live in the freedom of your true identity.